The Crimopedia podcast is a completely independent show that explores content of a potentially violent and disturbing nature. Please use your listening discretion. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Crimopedia podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today I'm going to give you an extra content warning for this case. Today we are talking about the murder of four-year-old Cash Gurnan and it's a case I've been wanting to discuss for quite some time. There are important lessons to learn in this case about recognizing our own internal biases and how internal biases can lead to pointing blame on others, but this case does involve the kidnapping, brutal murder, and horrific discovery of a very young child, so it's only fair that I warn you beforehand. I also wanted to note that yes, I did not publish an episode on the 15th of this month. Um, Please forgive me, it is my final exam season, and yeah, it's kinda kicking my ass. But uh, I'm doing my best, and I appreciate your patience. So with that, we are going to the southwestern area of Dallas, Texas in the United States today, and revisiting the events that took place on May 15th of 2021, leading up to an event that would change many people's lives forever. I know it's really tough when we talk about children, so deep breaths everyone, and let's just jump right in. On Saturday, May 15th, 2021, 39-year-old Antoinette Square, a local resident of the Duncanville neighborhood in Dallas, Texas, was out for her morning walk. I'm at a much higher latitude than Dallas here in Canada, but even all the way up here, May mornings are beautiful and picturesque. I can only imagine how jarring it was for Antoinette, a woman who I'm sure was enjoying her surroundings in the spring morning air, to stumble upon what she thought was a dead dog laying in the ditch along the side of the road by the curb as she ventured on to Saddle Ridge Drive around 6.45 in the morning. For Antoinette, she couldn't tell right away exactly what she had found. All she could make out from her discovery was some hair. She thought maybe it was a neighborhood dog that was hit by a car and laid there dead. But as Antoinette continued on her walk, getting closer to the animal down Saddle Ridge Drive, She realized it was not a dog or any sort of outdoor animal at all, but it was a young child laying dead on the side of this suburban road. The child was wearing no shirt or shoes and only shorts. The only things on his feet were ants crawling all over, which was one of the first clues to Antoinette that this child, whoever he was, was dead. The second clue was the blood covering his body. Obviously panic-stricken and likely struggling to process what must have felt like such a rapid and horrifying sequence of events and discoveries, Antoinette first called her mom, terrified, before hanging up to call 911. During that phone call, the 911 operator asked Antoinette to check for signs of life on the child, but to Antoinette, it was quite evident that there were none. Antoinette instead decided to stay with the boy until the Dallas police arrived guarding him as he lay in a vulnerable position on the road. One report I read even stated that she protected his body from a car almost running him over, 
and even when frozen in fear, Antoinette knew she had to be this boy's last protector. When Dallas police arrived a short time later, there was an initial feeling of confusion because upon checking with the department, there had been no reports of a missing child in the area. In an early attempt to find out who this child was laying in the road, police began canvassing the area and knocking on doors to get some more information from community members in the area about who this kid was. The Dallas police were also using canines, talking with neighbors, and digging through people's garbages to find any trace evidence that could relate to what was obviously a horrific crime. But unfortunately, they found nothing, and the body of this unidentified child was all they had to go on. They didn't find any weapons, there was no missing persons report, and in fact, it would be this way for several hours, and they would employ various techniques to uncover some semblance of context surrounding the discovery of this little boy to no avail. It was only around 11 a.m., hours after the little boy had been discovered, that Dallas police received a phone call from 39-year-old Monica Sherrod, who, when she woke up, discovered that her four-year-old son was not in his bed. Monica Sherrod and her four biological children, in addition to two twin four-year-old boys, lived only about a half mile or almost a full kilometer away from where the young child was found on Saddle Ridge Drive. The two four-year-old twin boys were not her own, although she called them her sons, and she had been caregiving for them for approximately three months. Their names were Carter and Cash Gurnan, and it was Cash who was not in his bed. When Dallas police received this phone call, they made the connection that I'm sure you and I are making right now. When the child was discovered in the road on Saddle Ridge Drive, police immediately figured the child had to have been from the surrounding area. Given that, and given that the phone call about a missing child was coming from someone who lived in the immediate area, that connection was made, and the boy was determined to be, more than likely, four-year-old Cash Gurnan. Police would bring in Monica and her four teenage biological children in for questioning shortly after that connection was made. According to her, she woke up late on May 15th, which immediately struck her as odd, because for the past three months, as she's been caring for Cash and Carter, it was notably Cash who would wake her up every morning at 7am for breakfast and for what they called quote-unquote school. I woke up a little late because, like I said, Cash didn't wake me up. Cash is normally the one that wakes me up. In the morning, we get up about 7. We eat the breakfast and then we get ready for school. That's what they called it. Monica says that their version of school was sitting around the table with her while they reviewed their ABCs, shapes and colors, and read books together. But on this day, when she woke up at 10 a.m., it was already well past school time, and she only saw Carter, Cash's twin brother, awake in the house. And um, we'd sit at the table and do our ABCs and our shapes and our colors, and then I'd let them go play, and then um, um, we'd do lunch and then naps. The day that he was missing, um, I got up late and I thought it was weird. Uh, it was kind of like, it's 10 o'clock, you guys, already. You waited late to wake mommy up, so I figured Cash was still in bed. Um, my son is who walked in the room and said, where's Cash at Carter? Because they're never separate, they don't separate. And um, Carter goes, he went outside, he went out front. 
Although this was an odd sight because the twins hardly ever separated from each other, she figured that Cash was likely still in bed sleeping, because where else would he possibly be? But it was only a few moments later, according to her, that one of Monica's sons asked Carter out loud where his brother was. He was likely observing at the same time as his mom just how odd the situation was to see Carter on his own. Four-year-old Carter then replied to that question that Cash went outside, which struck an immediate panic into Monica and all four of her teenage children. Soon after, they hastily began searching the neighborhood for Cash Gurnan, yelling his name and telling him it was time for breakfast, to stop hiding, and it wasn't funny anymore. So we believed Carter, you know what I'm saying? And so my boys started looking for him and I started screaming, Cash, if you're hiding from mommy, it's not funny anymore come out, it's time for breakfast. He wouldn't answer, so I called 911. While searching for the four-year-old boy, the family had heard the news that a young child was found dead not too far from where they lived. The news media had begun to quickly pick up the story. But despite Monica's daughter's pleas to logic that the child found could very likely be Cash, Monica refused to believe it. I can only imagine the panic and urgency they were feeling while searching for him, but then to be thrust into the denial stage of grief before you even have answers is just horrifying. By 11 a.m., nobody searching had found Cash anywhere, and they elected to call 911. I, I knew um, something was wrong, Somebody, something in my mind I knew, so I called 911 and told them I couldn't find Cash. And they said, when did I notice he was gone? I said, immediately when I got up, when Carter woke me up. We know that by this point, Cash Gurnan was well deceased, and Monica's daughter was right. The young child found approximately four hours earlier and just a few short minutes away was Cash Gurnan. During the interviews, Dallas police would learn that Monica neglected to mention something critical until the very end. Monica actually had surveillance cameras propped up all around the inside of her home, and police wouldn't learn this until her eldest son mentioned it during his interview. To some, this comes off as suspicious. There are many reasons why Monica comes off as suspicious, according to a lot of people on the internet at least, and we will get into all of that, but to me, I can sympathize with her inability to think rationally in this situation, and especially on a day like this. She even says herself in a TV interview that the only thing she was thinking of was cash. In the way she describes it, I can only imagine it was more of like a cloudy echo and less of a logical progression of thought, so she forgot to mention the cameras. But regardless, the point about the surveillance cameras was huge, and police would promptly get access to this footage only a short while later. We noticed Cash was gone, and I didn't even think about their surveillance system. When did you look at the surveillance? When we were at the detective's office, my son, I was crying, and I was uh, confused and like in a million pieces and praying to God they would still find Cash, and that little boy wasn't Cash. I kept telling my daughter, that's not Cash. And she said, Mommy, it has to be nobody else's missing a baby. When there was a report of a body of everything found, and I said, no, it's not cash. And when my son had went into his interview, Matthew was the last to be interviewed. Um, he remembered all of a sudden, mom has cameras. And I, I 
when you're going through something like that, you don't think about all of that. All you think about is your baby that's missing. And when they said, Mom has cameras, I rewinded the cameras, and there he was, the boy taking my son. Thankfully, as luck would have it, or careful planning on Monica's part, there was a camera inside Cash and Carter's bedroom that they shared together in her home, and Monica would end up viewing the tape from the night of May 14th into the morning of May 15th with detectives from Dallas police. Police would soon come to realize that what was captured on this surveillance tape was probably the most valuable piece of evidence that that I think any investigator in any investigation has ever seen in their lives. It's possible I'm exaggerating, but what they saw was mind-blowing, and it's certainly one of the most haunting security footage videos that I have ever seen. It is publicly available, but I will caution you with viewing it if you're easily spooked. I'll have it linked on my website at crimopediapod.ca, but if you'd rather just hear the description, I don't blame you. That's totally fine. Just keep listening. Upon viewing the surveillance video, Monica and the detectives from Dallas Police saw a man wearing a hoodie, sweatpants, sneakers, and some sort of backpack, possibly a drawstring, in addition to having sunglasses on his face, in the twins' bedroom at 4.58 a.m. on the morning of May 15th. In the dark, the man approaches the bed that Cash and Carter are sharing together and stands over them while they sleep, watching them somehow while it's pitch black and also through sunglasses. But he stands there for an extended period of time, so he's certainly watching something. He then looks directly into the camera before disregarding it and continued to watch over the sleeping twins. After a while of doing this, he begins to carefully pull back the blanket covering the boys before waiting and then swiftly grabbing Cash Gurnan and exiting the room. The man in the video grabs Cash by his sides, holding him vertically and leaving quickly but quietly. If it doesn't sound like this could get any worse, Two hours later, when the light is shining through the sheets hung up over the windows in the boys' room, the man returns at 7.30 a.m., around the time when the twins would have normally woken up. This time, the man seems to be wearing a different outfit, but he approaches the bed where now only Carter is sleeping just the same. The man stands over the bed where Carter is sleeping, sort of examining the situation, before kind of waddling around in a circle, realizing that Carter is stirring awake and leaving quietly. Many people believe that this was going to be an attempt at also taking Carter, but only a few minutes after he leaves, Carter himself wakes up and looks out the window and around the room, seemingly looking for his brother. When he can't find Cash, he calls out for him, having no idea that the man who took his brother was just in the room with him only a few moments prior, having no idea that the man who took his brother had already murdered him and left him along a curb on Saddle Ridge Drive. As I had briefly mentioned before, police and evidently the media would come to learn that Monica had Cash and Carter in her care since that previous March of 2021, after the twins' biological father, Trevor Gernon, left them with her. But they are not her biological sons. This situation gets a little sticky, but it provides some insight into the kinds of care the twins were receiving while with Monica versus what they possibly could have been enduring otherwise. It also provides some context to some of the theories surrounding this case, even though in my opinion it's pretty open and shut. 
According to Monica, Trevor Gurnan and his two sons, Cash and Carter, moved into her home in Dallas, Texas on February 14th of 2021. Trevor and Monica were friends or acquaintances to some extent, and from my reading, it seems to be because both of them were single parents who happened to live in Dallas. I personally speculate that their relationship may have had something to do with their past drug addictions or run-ins with the law in addition to their pretty surface-level similarities, but I digress. According to Trevor, he made a video statement after Cash's death saying that in March of that year, he left Dallas to move to Houston where he was from due to an unsuccessful job search, quote-unquote, among other things. During this move, he decided to leave the boys with Monica so they could continue living with a routine and in a stable home with other kids around, meaning Monica's biological children. However, according to Monica, she says that Trevor Gurnan left Dallas due to an outstanding warrant for his arrest regarding drugs amongst other various charges. He was a drug addict, as was she at some point in her life, and he was supposed to turn himself into police before going to rehab, something he evidently didn't want to do. As a result, even after Cash's death, Trevor refused to reveal his location to anyone. And regardless of how fair this situation was to Monica, the twins were left in her care, and she decided to do her best to take on the role of a stand-in parent to the fullest extent. However, given the stickiness of this situation and their past histories with the law and drugs, people were quick to blame Monica for being a quote-unquote negligent caregiver. And who was she to be taking care of these boys anyways? People also took issue with the fact that Monica actually recognized the man in the video surveillance, the same man who was captured kidnapping Cash Gurnan from his sleep and returning later likely to try and take Carter. We will get into all of this in more detail, but Monica, while watching these videos with Dallas police, would identify the person in the videos as 18-year-old Darian Brown, a young man who had actually been inside of her home before and who had a reputation for odd and violent behavior. Darian Brown lived with his parents only another half mile or almost a full kilometer away from where Cash's body was found. He had a reputation for suspicious behavior that many believed would escalate to extreme violence only with time, and at the time of Cash's death, he was facing unrelated charges including a misdemeanor for evading arrest back in April, in addition to a charge of burglary and injury to the elderly from a previous incident that February. Keep in mind that I've only seen these statements regarding charges that Darian was facing once. It's hard to substantiate this kind of information because I've also seen it reported that at the time of Cash's murder, Darian Brown was also wearing an ankle monitor, which I know now isn't true. But regardless, charges pending or not, Darian Brown had a reputation amongst his neighbors, if nothing else. After Cash's death, many had come forward with stories about Darian Brown lurking around their homes, wielding weapons, and causing property damage, let alone the number of times that he had been reported to police. According to neighbors and community members, Darian Brown had a habit of wandering around the streets aimlessly at any given time of night or day, breaking property with hammers and causing destruction. When I was reading up about the kinds of things he would get himself into, I found a harrowing still image of him from a doorbell camera, where he is winding up his arm with a hammer in his hand, ready to smash it. There was another surveillance clip of Darian Brown wearing a very similar outfit to the one he was wearing on the night of Cash's disappearance and death, where he is seen lurking around a neighbor's backyard fence in broad daylight. 
This neighbor, Jose Alvarado, was furious to watch the tape of his security footage back and see Darian Brown opening up his back gate into his backyard, peer inside, and leave swiftly. There was no telling what Darian was thinking while doing this. Was he checking for the two children that Jose Alvarado has typically playing back there? Or was he just snooping around as many neighbors typically caught him doing so? It's unclear what Darian Brown's motives were for doing any of the things he had done, but at the very least, many concede that his motives were sinister. Further, it is reported that his outbursts were not always strictly directed towards other people's property. He had threatened neighbors before, saying he will come back at night and kill their families, which in hindsight, is really chilling. But despite what seems like endless video and photographic evidence, the Dallas police neglected to take any threats or destroyed property at the hands of Darian Brown seriously. Eventually, the residents of the Duncanville neighborhood understood that they would have to fend for themselves, and they began having to coordinate with family members and other neighbors to have an effective buddy system where someone would always be standing watch in case Darian Brown came out from the bushes, wielding his hammer, ready to act on his threats. Monica, like many, knew Darian Brown, but not just because he was someone who had a reputation for potential violence in the area. Later in May of 2021, it came out that Darian Brown had been inside of Monica's home only a few days prior to Cash's disappearance and death, hanging out with her kids. According to her, she had been at the grocery store on this day and had no idea that her teenage children had a guest over, but when she got home, she found Darian inside of Cash and Carter's room, quote-unquote, spending time with Cash. Monica reported that she felt some type of way about this, annoyed or uncomfortable, regardless certainly icky and weirded out, and she told Darian to leave immediately and not to return. She then got her older children in trouble for letting in a guest, especially this guest, into the home without permission, and it would come out later that even the teenage daughter was uncomfortable with him being there, but her oldest son, Cameron, knew Darian in passing from Duncanville High School. Some people point out that Monica's reaction to Darian's presence inside of her home was suspicious, and possibly an indication that she knew him or at least more about him than she leads on, leading some people to grasp at straws, trying to connect her to Cash's death. Personally, in my own opinion, I don't think asking Darian Brown to leave her home after witnessing him quote-unquote spending time with Cash is suspicious at all. Although the description of their encounter is vague, I think if any teenage boy is paying careful attention to young children in any way that is taken as potentially suspect, I would feel uncomfortable too, and especially if it was someone with a reputation like Darian had. After being identified as the man in the surveillance video, it didn't take long for Dallas police to make an arrest and had Darian Brown in custody by the end of day. He was originally charged with only kidnapping and burglary and held in Dallas County Jail with a $750,000 bond. These charges were likely the easiest to lay without too much effort on the Dallas Police Department as both the acts of kidnapping and burglary were caught on camera, and having Darian in custody on those charges would allow for more time to get forensic processing done and prove what everybody else already knew, that he killed Cash Gurnan. However, I would like to digress for a moment and point out the issue of bond in this case. Similar to the case of Blake Sampson, which I covered in 2022, we have someone here who willingly perpetrated child violence and is being given the chance to cash bail themselves out of custody. In the case of Blake Sampson, this opportunity allowed the assailant to make a run for it, and thankfully that wasn't the case here, 
However, Stephanie Harlow, true crime YouTuber who covered this case, makes a great point that just because someone's bond is set high doesn't mean they can't afford it. If they can, it's possible that child predators could be let out onto the streets, and that was certainly the case for the accused in the case of Blake Sampson. And it is of my opinion that perpetrators of child violence should not be able to pay their way out of custody whatsoever, especially in instances such as these, when the evidence is cut and dry, and frankly was caught on video. Speaking of evidence, it certainly began to pile up quickly after Darian Brown was in custody, as investigators with the Dallas police likely anticipated would happen. Upon canvassing Monica's house, it was discovered that Darian Brown likely entered the home through the garage door, which was damaged and wasn't locking properly. Once inside, he then entered into the home through the connecting door, which is very close to the bedroom of Cash and Carter Gurnan, and very far away from the bedrooms of everyone else. So likely, if he did make any noise, they wouldn't have heard anything. It only took a few days after Cash was discovered for police to locate an edged weapon alongside other belongings in Darian Brown's home that had traces of blood on them. And on May 28th, the Dallas Medical Examiner revealed that Cash Gurnan had died by homicide from multiple stab wounds inflicted with an edged blade, reportedly the same one found in Darian's home. Further, the clothes that Darian Brown was seen wearing on the surveillance footage of when he broke into Cash Gurnan's bedroom were brought in for forensic analysis. These items included an Adidas zippered hoodie, a pair of shoes, and a pair of dark-colored sunglasses. When tested, all of these items came up positive, matching with traces of Cash Gurnan's blood. Soon after, given all this evidence, on June 9th, 2021, the charges of kidnapping and burglary against Darian Brown were upgraded to capital murder. Darian's mother, Mimi Brown, has since come out to make several statements about the ordeal and has even chosen to point blame towards Monica, like many others, who was the caregiver for Cash and Carter at the time of the murder. According to Mimi Brown, she thinks that Cash Gurnan, although she doesn't mention him by name, was killed, quote-unquote, at them sick people's home, and that someone transported his body to the location it was found. To put it bluntly, Mimi Brown refuses to accept that her son, Darian Brown, has been implicated in the murder of Cash Gurnan, stating that he's a nice kid. However, in the same article I read of her statements, she does acknowledge her son suffers from some degree of mental instability and mental illness, and thus is a patient at a mental health institution. To me, given these statements, it's unclear if she wants to deflect blame onto Monica or wants to omit blame from her son on account of his mental status, the latter of which is the angle his attorneys are taking, but I want to talk about the former. Accusing Monica Sherrod of being implicated in the murder of Cash Gurnan, in my opinion, is nothing short of a reach, especially when Darian Brown is caught on literal video surveillance kidnapping him. At this point, I think it would be unfair not to report that Monica Sherrod has had trouble with the law in her life. Most of it includes misdemeanors, driving offenses, and some drug possession charges. Given this and the other reasons I've listed in this episode, some think that Monica may have been in on the scheme, if nothing else. Possibly having paid Darian to commit the crime, maybe having the motive of no longer wanting to care for children that were not hers. However, by all accounts of those who know Monica and Monica herself, the twins Cash and Carter called her mommy and would not recognize their own mother if even shown a picture. Their father packed up and left to escape a warrant while in active drug addiction, abandoning his sons in the care of a woman he hardly knew 
and she stepped up to the plate, assuming the caregiver role without even being directly asked to do so. He loved school. He loved, um, like I said, reading. He loved books. I used to read to them every night. And he always wanted me to read the same book over and over again. In all video interviews, Monica refers to Cash and Carter as quote-unquote my sons. She also discusses at length with her teenage children about the kind of childhood the boys were enjoying while in her care. According to Cameron, her oldest son, Cash enjoyed taking out all of his toy cars and piling them beside an action figure monster, calling it a monster truck. According to Monica, before she was attempting to give Cash and Carter some semblance of an education, they did not know their ABCs or how to even begin to start reading. Monica says that after he met her, Cash loved reading books. He wanted to learn words and sentences, read books and hear stories. People have also attempted to substantiate their claims of Monica's negligence as a caregiver, thus feeding into her motive, by shaming her for a messy, unkempt home. If you look at photos of the house and photos of the room where Cash and Carter were staying, you'll be able to see that Monica does not have curtains on the windows, but instead sheets that hang over. There are no light fixtures hanging from the ceiling, only light bulbs. But the point I want to make is that the lights were on. The rooms were messy, but they were full of toys. The house may have been dirty, but there were six kids running around, all being fed and cared for, at least from my perspective. Monica Sherrod's old carpet, battered walls, and demeanor from previous drug addiction, as well as history of driving offenses, has no merit on her guilt in the death of a baby. But video surveillance of a young man breaking into her home and stealing Cash Gurnan absolutely does. Inherent biases about people who have had difficult lives or histories with trouble in law enforcement lead people to make accusations of those who are rightfully grieving. Although Monica was only caring for Cash and Carter for three months, she obviously developed an attachment to them, and you can see it in her face and in her eyes in her interviews. We saw these biases in action in the case of Dolce Maria Alaves, the young girl who disappeared in New Jersey just over three and a half years ago now, whose mother continues to receive hate online for people perceiving her as guilty due to inherent biases about her being young. If not for the video surveillance of Darian Brown kidnapping Cash Gurnan, who knows what the consequences of the accusations against Monica could have been. I know for Dolce Alaves's mom, many people have stated that she should be arrested, and yet they have no evidence. Similarly, there's no evidence to implicate Monica in any of this, and yet many people on the internet have already decided her guilt. Unlike his mother, it seems that Darian Brown's defense team has no issue conceding that he admitted the crime, or at least that there's likely enough evidence to convict him of it. In one news article I read on the Daily Mail, Darian's defense attorney, Heath Harris, made a comment about how people are just assuming Darian Brown killed Cash Gurnan because he was seen in the video surveillance kidnapping him. According to Heath Harris, and I know he's just doing his job, but apparently those two things don't necessarily have to be related. I guess technically he's right, but I'll move on. The point that I'm trying to make here is that Darian Brown did not plead guilty. However, like I said, his defense team likely conceded that there was enough evidence to convict him. If you recall, as I had briefly mentioned, the defense was actually hoping to build an insanity offense on account of Darian's mental status and in February of 2022, they were successful. 
On Friday, February 18th of 2022, Magistrate Judge Farrell Chapman found Darian Brown incompetent to stand trial on capital murder of Cash Gurnan. This is different than an insanity defense, and all that this ruling means is that right now, he has no idea what's going on, he doesn't understand his own proceedings, and so technically, by law, the judge is not allowed to see them through, and they have to wait until the day where Darian Brown might be fit to stand trial. Until that day, if it ever comes, Darian Brown is being treated by the North Texas State Hospital System. Although he's still institutionalized, I know it's not the exact same way that I guess everyone was hoping after the murder of a four-year-old boy happened. But as these rulings go, there will be periodic re-evaluations of Darian Brown's mental status to see if he will be competent to stand trial. But even then, his defense team will try to still mount an insanity defense, which is when they will try to prove that not only was Darian Brown incompetent to stand trial at one time, but he was criminally insane at the time of killing Cash Gurnan, and thus exempt from any criminal guilt. The basis for these rulings comes from the fact that, allegedly, Darian Brown suffers from various psychiatric disorders, including schizophrenia. This illness for him presents with delusions and auditory hallucinations. Apparently, he was hearing them at the time of abducting Cash Gurnan. This is kind of what I mean when I say that the defense is not necessarily conceding that Darian Brown is guilty, but from the language that they've used, even though, again, they've implied that just because he kidnapped Cash doesn't mean he killed Cash, that Darian Brown was likely involved in all of it. But even still, they're trying to prove that he's not guilty by reason of insanity, so we'll see how that goes. If Darian Brown is convicted for capital murder of Cash Gurnan, he could be facing life in prison with no possibility of parole or the death penalty by lethal injection. It's hard to say how these proceedings will go, because until he's deemed competent to stand trial, nothing moves forward. Although in this case, it seems like we have a lot of evidence given the video surveillance picked up almost the entire crime happening in action, I'm sure that if the day the trial comes, there will be much more evidence for us all to learn. So I will try my best to keep you posted on that, and you can watch my Instagram at crimopediapod to see when that day comes, and hopefully it does. Although not his biological family, I think Monica Sherrod deserves some justice and at the very least some closure. And that goes for Cash's and Carter's biological parents as well. Reports I'm reading say that Carter, Cash's twin brother, is in the custody of his biological mother right now, but the reports kind of vary, so we don't actually know where Carter is. I can only imagine though how this whole situation has been difficult for him. Only a four-year-old boy, struggling to comprehend the ever-changing surroundings that you're subjected to, and now all of a sudden your best friend in the world, your soulmate, your brother, is just gone. My heart really goes out to him, and the world he's going to grow up in, the reality he's going to grow up in, knowing exactly what happened to his brother, and then likely in the future re-watching that video surveillance of the same man who killed Cash coming back into the room and standing over him as well. Unfortunately, as of right now, that is all the information that I have for you in this case, but again, stay updated by following me on Instagram at crimopediapod, and if you want to look at all the resources I used for this episode, you can find those on my website at crimopediapod.ca. And another warning that does include the video of Darian Brown standing over the twin boys in the middle of the night. It's harrowing, but I think it's worth the watch.
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Crimopedia podcast. I'm so grateful for your patience and for always tuning in when another episode drops. If you'd like to make a case suggestion or want to talk about a case, you can reach me by the same methods I talked about before the Instagram or the website. And I've got some really interesting cases lined up for the rest of the spring, so I hope you'll tune in to listen with me here wherever you're listening now. Stay safe, everyone, and I'll see you here for the next one. Bye.